This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to the Long Science Podcast. My name is Katie Wick, and I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at UCSF and an internal medicine resident at UC Davis. And I'm joined today by Dr. Julie Basterash to discuss non-invasive sampling of the lungs in translational research. Dr. Basterash is an associate professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University who truly encapsulates the term physician scientist. Dr. Basterash studies the mechanisms underpinning organ dysfunction in ARDS and sepsis, and she is a leader in the field of non-invasive sampling of the lungs in acute pulmonary disease. She serves as a mentor to many junior investigators from medical students through junior faculty, and she also provides outstanding clinical care to her patients at Vanderbilt and at the VA. Dr. Bastrash, thank you so much for joining me to discuss this really exciting topic. Thank you, Katie. I'm really excited to be here. So I'll just dive right in. You and your co-investigators have really been at the forefront of translational studies of ARDS biology for many years. And so much of what we've learned about ARDS biology using patient samples comes from biomarkers in the peripheral circulation. But I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about what we can learn from studying pulmonary samples that we may be missing in the plasma and uh, why it's important to obtain samples directly from the lungs to move ARDS research forward. Thanks, Katie. That's a really good question. So um, you can, it's really important to sample the lungs because the lungs are really where uh, the action is happening in acute lung injury and ARDS. And we know from um, detailed studies in animals and also some observational studies in humans that what we can measure directly in the lungs is not entirely um, captured in measuring samples in the peripheral circulation. And it's, you can sort of think of it like trying to understand breast cancer by measuring markers in the plasma. We really have not, you really couldn't understand the biology of breast cancer without sampling the breast cancer tissue itself. And the same is true for lung injury. It's really important to be able to study the airspace to really understand what's going on in the lungs themselves. And all and those changes are not always going to be reflected in the, in the circulation or in plasma. It's a really good point. I think um, we have learned so much from the plasma, but there's so much more that we could learn by sampling the airspaces. And there are lots of different approaches to doing that. So I was hoping you could provide some background on different approaches to sampling the lungs and tell us in particular about the use of HME filter fluid to obtain pulmonary samples non-invasively in mechanically ventilated patients. Sure. So most patients with ARDS, as you know, are intubated and mechanically ventilated. So they've got a, a direct conduit into their airway. Um, And there are several methods of sampling what's happening in the airspace. The simplest method is just direct aspiration. And we do this at the bedside clinically when we're um, collecting secretions for a sputum sample or doing airway clearance, for example. Michael Maffey, a colleague of ours, discovered years ago that you could actually use direct aspiration to sample distal airspace fluid in patients who have ARDS. And he developed a method of direct aspiration of pulmonary edema fluid in patients with ARDS. 
And in fact, he and Dr. Lorraine Ware published some really landmark studies using fluid sampled in this manner. Um, and the way that that fluid is sampled is using the inline suction catheter that ventilated patients have already set up and advancing that catheter till resistance is met and then applying gentle suction. And it's possible on patients with ARDS to aspirate a couple milliliters of pulmonary edema fluid. The problem with that method, and, and it's a great method because it directly samples fluid from the distal airspace and the fluid is undiluted. The problem with that method is it's only the minority of patients with ARDS who have sufficient pulmonary edema that it can be collected in this manner. So the majority of the time when you try to directly aspirate fluid from patients with ARDS, you get no fluid back. Um, and that's uh, been um, particularly evident in the era of low tidal volume ventilation. Um, Michael Mathe established this protocol prior to the low tidal volume ventilation ventilator strategies when um, we didn't really know any better, but we were actually inadvertently causing a lot of lung injury and precipitating edema formation. And in the early days of direct aspiration, he was able uh, to aspirate fluid from a good proportion of patients with ARDS, but in the, the era of lung protective ventilation, and I, I know this firsthand because when I started in the lab, this is one of the things that I did was I went around to all ARDS patients and tried to aspirate fluid from their lungs. You could only aspirate it in maybe 10% of patients. Um, so while that's a great uh, source of undiluted pulmonary edema fluid, it's really not accessible for many patients. The other method that people commonly use is doing bronchoalveolar lavage, a method that we're all familiar with, using a bronchoscope and instilling sterile saline into the distal airspace and, and um, flushing that and, and collecting that saline. That's a great method. It can be done safely in most patients. Um, there are a couple of limitations. Number one, it's a you know minimally invasive procedure. It does require that specialized equipment. You have to have a bronchoscopy uh, to be able to do the procedure. The um, so it's not really amenable to repeat sampling. You know, it's not not common to do bronchoalveolar lavages daily to follow someone over time. So it's somewhat invasive, so it's not good for repeat sampling. The other problem with BAL is it introduces an unknown dilution factor. So you put sterile saline in, you aspirate fluid back, you really don't know um, how much the distal airspace contents are diluted. Uh, so that's a, those are the limitations to bronchoalveolar lavage. Uh, some people have used traditional exhaled breath condensate collection using a chilled tube that condenses breath as it's exhaled. That's a non-invasive method of collecting um, breath condensate, but it does require specialized equipment. So it's not really widespread. Um, and then finally, um, using HME or heat moisture exchange filters as a method of collecting um, fluid is what we've, um, I, I wish I could say that I came up with the idea. The idea was actually brought to, to us um, several years ago by a biomedical engineer who was interested in studying bacteria in the lungs. And we thought, well, maybe we can use fluid collected from these filters to study different biomarkers. So we really established this protocol. Uh, the advantage of these HME filters is they're in line in the ventilator. It's on almost all patients. It's safe to go take the filter off. We can bring it back to the lab and spin it down. It can be collected daily on patients. Um, so it's a, it's a really attractive way of collecting non-invasively, collecting fluid repeatedly in the same patient. 
Yeah, I think the really appealing thing that I've learned about HME filters from learning from your group is that you can collect them serially. So a lot of what we've learned about the airspace biology and ARDS depends upon these baseline samples, as you mentioned, either indirectly aspirated pulmonary edema fluid or NBAL fluid, or, you know, from a single time point because of that difficulty with repeated sampling of the air spaces with mini BAL. So it's so appealing to have this technique where you may be able to follow the trajectory of the lung injury as it develops and resolves. One thing that you all have done so well at Vanderbilt is incorporating HME filter fluid collection into the workflow of so many of your translational studies. But I know there can be this learning curve for people who are first learning how to incorporate that type of sample collection into their studies. So I was just wondering what some of the challenges are to integrating this into your workflow and what lessons you've learned as you guys have really developed this technique. So it was it was really actually very serendipitous that this worked out for us. So I think the first barrier for many people is that not all institutions or intensive care units routinely use HME filters. So as you know, the HME filter is designed to heat and moisturize the inhale, the inspired breath from the ventilator. Many institutions, and in fact, the VA hospital that I work at across the street uses humidification units attached to the ventilator. So there are a lot of people who don't even use HME filters. So for, for those people, it's really been a challenge. And we have some collaborators that have had this challenge trying to get their, um, trying to convince their, their hospital to switch practice and use HME filters as opposed to um, humidified units. So that's the first thing is um, being at a hospital that uses HME filters. The second thing we've learned is that not all HME filters are the same. Um, and again, we were very fortunate with the specific type of HME filter that we have. Um, it just so happens that that type of filter is very amenable to fluid collection. We We've tested other types of filters that have different shapes and different um, absorbent material on the inside and actually have not been able to collect fluid from other types of filters. So I think the type of filter that is used is very critical. The other challenge is these filters are sort of a weird shape and that we didn't naturally have anything that we could use to spin the filter down. So we actually had to um, create some 50 milliliter conical tubes that we put some, that we, we uh, cut the top off of and put some machine screws in to, to serve as a holder for the HME filters. So we had to construct or invent something to actually be able to spin these down in a regular bucket centrifuge. We've since worked with our um, 3D printing lab here and had some special holders 3D printed. But those are the, those are the major challenges in terms of actually making it happen. Um, and then in terms of actually doing a research project, so let's say everything aligns and you have the right filters and you make the holders, you still need someone who's actually going to screen and enroll the patients. And um, at the very beginning, when we were just getting the study, study up and running, we had residents and fellows that would re do rotate with us and we would collect the filters ourselves. Now we're fortunate enough to have study personnel and study nurses that enroll and collect these filters for us. It's so interesting to hear about the important role of collaboration in developing this type of protocol, mentioning, you know, everyone from biomedical engineers to medical students and residents, the clinical coordinators. So even just beyond the biology, you can learn a lot about the importance of who you engage with as you're running these studies, which is such an important lesson also. 
What do you see as some of the greatest potential areas of progress that may come out of increased airspace sampling in these translational studies of ARDS? And what are you most excited to learn more about? So I think there are uh, a couple of things. So for the first time using the HME filter fluid, we can broadly sample the airspace from lots and lots of patients. So we've, we're able to extract fluid from patients with ARDS. We have a control group of patients with hydrostatic pulmonary edema. We also can collect fluid from um, patients that are intubated for airway protection, unilateral pneumonia. So we're able to sample the airspace from um, pretty much all comers that are that are intubated and on mechanical ventilation. So I think the possibilities to really inform the biology of, of what's occurring in the airway is for the first time there, not just for ARDS, but for COPD exacerbation, for acute exacerbation of IPF. Um, I think there are, there's a lot of opportunity to learn about all types of lung diseases. I think the other thing that's really exciting is our ability to sample over time. You know, as you mentioned, Katie, uh, we've learned a lot, uh, particularly from studies uh, spearheaded by Michael Mathay and Lorraine Ware and others um, using the directly aspirated pulmonary edema fluid. We've learned a tremendous amount about the biology of what's happening in the airspace. But those studies are really critical in understanding what's going on in the initial phases of ARDS, but we've never been able to look over time. So I think for the first time, we're really going to be able to look at the trajectory of ARDS and see, you know, as people are intubated, what's changing over time. So I think those things are particularly exciting. And my what I think is really key in the era of subphenotyping in ARDS, as you know, in the field, what we used to think of as just one big syndrome, the work of Carolyn Kelfie and others has really shown us that we have clear biologic subphenotypes of ARDS that respond differentially to treatment. So now we need to extend Carol and Kelfie's findings to really understand the biologic heterogeneity of what is happening in the lungs of patients with ARDS. And I think the particular advantage of being able to sample patients is to then do um, really detailed reverse translational studies. So make observations in patients, which of course are just observations and correlations and associations, and then go back and really study what is happening um, at a cellular and molecular level in the lab so that we can, for the first time, have a chance of intervening on pathways that we know are occurring in the lung, that we know are driving ARDS. And this is exactly what our colleagues in cancer have done. So the biologic revolution in cancer treatment was really driven by identifying subphenotypes of um, cancer in patients going back to the lab, understanding the biology, developing targeted therapies, and then bringing that back to the bedside. So I think the place for something like um, HME filters is really um, in discovery and reverse translation and telling us what's important in patients initially and over time so that we can study that in the lab and really start to understand the, the mechanistic drivers of the biological heterogeneity that we're seeing in, in ARDS. Yeah, I agree. I think as somebody who's really new to the field and just starting out in my career in, in science and research, that's something that I'm really excited to see and that I'm so happy to be able to be a part of now is just learning. There's this whole other 
world of ARDS biology that although, of course, the lungs are the organ of interest and the thing that's so crucial to this disease process or many other of the disease processes that you mentioned, we really haven't been able to open that box in a way that is quite as exciting as what is offered by these new techniques. So that's a really exciting for me as a young investigator also. And I think that, you know, overall, this just innovative approach to lung biology really highlights the importance of always looking for new avenues of investigation in one's field, even as you become really familiar with past work and, and the work that your colleagues are doing currently. I was just wondering if you could offer some advice to young investigators for how to stay engaged and forge new paths of discovery as they move forward in their careers. Sure. I would, I would say the, the things that have helped me in my career and the things that make my job really fun are thinking creatively, having an open mind, being willing to talk to people and meet with people. Um, I'm, you know, this whole area of research came about because someone emailed me randomly and said, hey, I think you do some lung stuff. Do you want to meet? And I said, sure. And he came with this idea of looking at bacteria in these filters. So I think having an open mind, being open to talking to people, also being proactive. Um, one of the pieces of advice that I give to trainees is anytime a visiting speaker is coming to your division or department, offer to meet with them, you know, set up a one-on-one -on -one meeting with them. Even if they're outside of your field, it's amazing what you'll learn. And also to not be afraid to take the initiative. Um, some of my best collaborations, not just in this area, but in all areas of my work have been when I've reached out to people, um, you know, cold emailed someone and said, hey, I know you're an expert in this. I have an idea. Should let, Let's talk about it. So that's where some of the most creative science comes from. So I think just being receptive, not only to ideas, but also to engaging with people in your field, but also people outside of your field, um, because it is, I mean, that's what makes it so fun. You mentioned collaboration. That's what makes this job really, really fun. And I, I believe that the best science comes from collaboration and not just from one person. So the more open you are to that and the more you make that happen for yourself, I think the, the more fun you'll have and the more successful you'll be and the better your science will be. That's really great advice. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, not only on the specific science of, of the airspace sampling, but also on just how you've shaped your career and how you envision other people shaping their careers as we aspire to be more like you and, and your, uh, your co-investigators. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, also thank you to all the listeners for joining us for this really exciting topic. This episode of the Lung Science Podcast was, as always, brought to you by the American Journal of Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. And if you would like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, please visit atsjournals.org or subscribe to the Lung Science Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.